0: There we go. There we go. There we go. How we doing this morning? How we doing? We good? We good? God, we got some people in the house. You got to go to work then, Lord. Go to work this morning, Lord. Thank you guys for joining us on this beautiful Sunday. Glad to have you guys all in the building. How many of y'all ready to keep going in the book of Revelations? Book of Revelations. Revelations. How many of y'all, if you're being honest, you still find yourself saying revelations with an S? I know it. I get it. I find myself doing the same thing still, too. I'm like, Kevin, you the pastor. You don't say revelations. Revelation. So how many of you feel like you've been getting a lot of revelation out of the book of Revelation? Amen. That's what's most important. Not about whether you're saying it the right way. It's about are you getting the revelation that God has laid out in that book? And so I pray that today we are able to add on to that revelation today. And I'm going to be preaching from the sixth chapter of Revelation. So if you can't open your Bibles up to there, and if you're looking at the Bible underneath your seat, that should be on page 1031. And if you're in your journals, that'll be on page 24. And like we said, we always encourage you guys, man, engage and get active with those journals, man. Take notes or whatnot. This book right here is really transformational for our lives and is much needed for a believer of Jesus Christ. So, man, take notes, whatever comes across or whatnot. And then, like I said, I'm going to be quizzing some of y'all. I know a lot of people like say, you know, yeah, man, great job after the message. I'm going to ask you, what, what what was good about the message? <laughs> I'm going to try to get you. So, man, make sure you're taking notes. And um, like I said, we're going to get to it. And I asked my lovely wife to come up and read uh, Revelation chapter 6 for us. So, Come on up here. I should say my pregnant wife with child number five to come ask to read. There we go. Yes. So here at Grace, we like to honor God by the reading of the word by standing. So if you could stand with us as we get ready to read, we greatly appreciate it. We're at Revelation 6. Revelation 6, the
1: seven seals. Now I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another.
0: Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you're good, God. God, this book of Revelation is serious, Lord. And I pray, God, that you bless our faithfulness as we dare to tread through this book to get the full character of who you are, God. God, we don't look to be a 65-book church. We look to be a 66-book church that reads all of your books, Lord. And I pray that the fruits that come from this, God, will produce a harvest for your kingdom, God. Thank you for what you're going to do in advance. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all this saints said, amen. amen, amen, amen. So be seated and check out this uh, quick video clip. It's going to have my title, my message in there. Y'all know how I get down. So check out this video clip here. Check it out. Story check it for out. A big smile out of you. You're up too old. What's the story? Are you not happy or you're I'm only st- half happy or? Still to be happy about. You're up too old. Job's not finished. Job finished. Job I don't think so. Job's not finished. Put me in the game, coach. Put me in the game, coach. The job's not finished, baby. It's still got time on the clock. It is game time. It's still time. Title my mess today, job's not finished. And if you truly understand the power that's behind that phrase, you'd have been shouting and saying, hey, amen, behind me because what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. He's not finished. On the job he started in your life, the good work he began in your life, he's not finished with. The, Hey, what he thought was finished with my wife's womb, we pregnant with number five. The chemo, the cancer, didn't do it. For some of you, you think that the the, the job is finished on your mental state, on your marriage, on your finances. Hey, let me tell you something. God sent me here today to tell you the job's not finished just yet. Oh man, y'all better get ready. I got my tennis shoes on today. We preaching, y'all. Y'all got me preaching before I start preaching. Let's do this thing now. Let's get to Revelation 6 now. Let's get to Revelation 6. So when we look at Revelation 6, if you read it and fully were able to grasp it, what you would see or what I was able to gain from this or what it felt like was, it felt like it was a trailer to a movie, like a Taken movie. Any of you ever seen Taken? Like an action pack. I get a, somebody up there got excited about it. It's an action pack. See, it starts off in chapter 5 midway through when John is falling down and he's, everybody's celebrating and it's joyous. So and then you flip over to Revelation 6 and then the action happens. You know, it starts going on and the seals are being broken and all of this uh, destruction and everything is happening. But we don't get the full picture. All we get is a glimpse in chapter 6 of what's to come the next 13 or so chapters later. It's like we only get a snapshot into what's happening. We don't even get the seventh seal. It's kind of like a cliffhanger. So you got to finish watching the movie to figure out what goes on. So we can't stop at Revelation 6. It's giving us a summary of what's getting ready to happen in the next chapters. And I know some of you... uh, um, Probably Sunday school scholars, people that's been in church for a while, you probably thinking like, wait a minute, Pastor Kevin, you're talking about the job's not finished. But if it's anything I know, I know I know John 3.16, and I know the Easter story that's coming up. I said, Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, didn't he? I know some of y'all probably thinking like, what are you talking about the job's not finished? Well, if you read your whole Bible, or if you just read ahead in Revelation, the book of Revelation, you would have got to chapter 21, verse 6, and you would have seen where... This passage is, it says, and he said, he also said, it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. This is the only, this is the second location or the only other location you will find this, it is finished in your Bible. Jesus said it one time, God says it in the end there. And I know you're probably thinking like, okay, so what, 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 what's missing? What job is incomplete? Like what's, what, what's, what's the missing piece here? And if you are a true Bible believer, you're a Bible-reading scholar, you love reading your Bible, you love it you, think it, you believe that it's the inerrant and infallible word of God and you live it by every word of it, then you know deep down that the job's not finished yet. It's something inside of you. We're grateful for our salvation. We're grateful that Jesus Christ paid the debt for our sins and that we are free. We have abundant. We can have abundant life here and eternity, but we always know there's something missing. In Revelation chapter 21, if you look at the heading, it kind of gives you a little bit of, of what that's about. It says the new Jerusalem or the new heaven or the new earth. But if we go to, right quick to Philippians 3.20, it gives us even more clarity. Philippians 3.20 says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and he, we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. See, deep down, any true believer and follower of Jesus Christ understand what's missing is home. Oh, man, how I love going to hotels and taking six or seven showers and maybe two or three baths to use up all of their hot water or whatnot so I can. Oh, I love overusing the water in the hotels. But, man, it's not home. Me and my family just got back from Florida and we got to spend nine days out there and we got to stay with my in-laws and whatnot. We're so grateful. We got to save thousands of dollars, man. And we're so grateful that we get to save the money and have a place to stay. But can I tell you, it ain't home. And every true believer still yearns for home. And God has sent me here this morning to preach from that aspect that he knows the job's not finished. Now, I don't know about you, but that's just my home right there. That's mine personally. Like, that ain't a bunch of rooms for y'all to fit in. That's just my vision of that. That's my own place right there. The Bible says I got a mansion waiting. That's mine right there. Now uh, Let me stop. Let me stop. I don't know if that's what it's going to be. We may all be fitting in one. But but we know that we're missing home. The job's not finished. See, God's plan, he had a two-fold plan. He had a plan to redeem and to restore. He had a plan to redeem his people, which is already done. Jesus Christ has sealed this up on the cross. It is finished, our salvation in him. We are saved through the blood of Jesus, and that's, that's it alone. But God didn't just save a bunch of people, a bunch of souls, so that we can roam around aimlessly in the world. He's saving people. He's saving souls to put them in a place, to restore the place that was once in place in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. He's restoring that place. There will be a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth, a new place with a tree of life, a new place with a river that's running through, that's sourcing it all. The job's not finished. God is looking to redeem and restore his people. And we, we have to understand the importance of this scroll because for us to, for God to be able to get us back home, he has to get the title deed back like Wayne so eloquently shared last week. We, it's a title deed that was given over to Satan once the sin entered into the world. God says, hey man, okay, boom, you over this all. You're the ruler of that world there. But now God is saying, I'm going to restore it, and I need the title deed back to my creation. And so Revelation 6 is that. That's the scroll being broken open, and it's the title deed of how God is going to uh, uh, relinquish. I mean, that he's going to regain his land back, his people back, his creation back. And so if we look at it, I want to break down some things within this scroll. Just kind of give us an overview of the scroll. I want to get too deep off into it. There's a lot of symbolism and stuff within the scroll, which we ain't going to get into all of that this morning. But just want to give you some highlights. It's like a title deed, like we said. It's like, like on your house. like you get it transferred over. It's yours. It's a title deed there. It's got seven seals on it. And those seals can only be broken by the worthy one, which is Jesus Christ, the Lamb. In that seal, you get these, it reveals a time of trouble or it's what what scholars call the tribulation period. It's a seven-year period of a time of trouble that will happen before the the end of the the destruction comes. So that's called the tribulation. And halfway through that tribulation, things are going to intensify. And that's where you get where they talk about or they say the great tribulation. So the tribulation is the seven-year period, but the great tribulation will come halfway through that. And we would understand that if you if you want you want a more context there, you can read Daniel chapter 9 or you can look at Matthew chapter 24 and 25. But we're going to look at 24 for time's sake. I don't want to get too deep into it, but this is the uh, overview of this scroll here. You're getting the insight of like, what is this all about? And it's my job and responsibility to be honest with you about what this scroll and for us to give you how these events, the importance of how these events are structured within the scroll. There's a significance of why it's laid out the way it is. And the first thing we have to understand is that God is a God of order. We can compare this to like Genesis chapter 1. If you remember Genesis chapter 1, it was the order, it was a summary of how creation happened. But then chapter 2, you get the full description of what happened when he created things. So that was God's uh, uh, construction of creation. But now God's destruction of creation is here in chapter 6. It's giving you a summary right there, and then it's going to show you how it's played out over the next 13 or so chapters. With the creation, the construction of creation, things got better and better before they got worse and worse when sin entered in. Y'all remember in the Bible where God created something and he said it was good? Then, after that, he said it was good. It was good. It all built up. Things were getting better and better till he said it was very good. And then it started getting worse and worse when sin entered in. The order of destruction of creation will be flipped. Things will get worse and worse before they get better and better. So we wonder why our world is so crazy and chaotic and things like that. Hey, man, we're living this out. The way the scroll is laid out is showing you right there that things will get worse and worse before they get better and better. Don't take my word for it. Let's look at what Jesus says in Matthew 24, 6 through 8. He says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nations will rise against nations and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are beginning of birth pains. So Jesus Christ himself said that the precursor to me coming has to be things will get worse and worse. The sign that you will know that I'm coming is when things start getting worse and worse. As believers, that gives us some tension. Even unbelievers, if that gives us tension as believers, think about the tension that it gives an unbeliever. You know what we get to doing? We get to looking through the Bible, searching and pointing out, that's a contradiction, we get the saying, at, at Bible, y'all read this why I don't follow because this, this is happening and this is what, y'all say everything's supposed to be good with that. See, we start pointing out, trying to point out contradictions. But can I tell you the things and events and actions that are happening in our world is not contradictions of God's word, it's actually confirmation of God's word. The things that we are witnessing today in our world, the wickedness that we see, and if we can all be honest, our world is getting more wicked and wicked, right? If you understand what I'm saying. The music that's being listened to, the things that are getting pushed on, on streaming channels and things like that, that our kids are being exposed to. It's almost you got to shut everything down because the world is trying to expose them to things. Our world is getting more wicked and wicked by the day the heinous crimes that happen. I so that. Causes us some tension, but they're not contradictions. They're confirmations. Confirmations of what? That God kept it 100 with us. God's word is honest. God, Jesus kept it real when he walked in his his ministry. Jesus didn't sugarcoat it. And when we look at our word and we go through as believers, we've gotten, and I don't know where we've gotten this from, but we've gotten this doctrine or theology passed down that everything, when you give your life to Christ, Christ, everything is just supposed to be uh, peaches and roses. Like you'll never have to go anything. But I don't know what Bible you reading, but my Bible, Jesus kept it 100. God kept it 100 from the beginning of creation that in this life you will have sufferings. He didn't say you wouldn't. He just said, I need you to endure it. You may not enjoy it, but I need you to endure it. Jesus didn't just utter it off his lips. He lived it with his life. People would try to come follow him. He said, look here, man, I ain't got no home. Foxes and hoes, they got holes and everything like that, but I ain't got a house to live in, man. Now, this just may not be all the uh, uh, theologically sound or whatnot, but man, Jesus had to tell somebody, man, go get that coin out of that that fish's mouth or whatnot. Jesus didn't have no money on him. right? I'm like, Jesus, you're king of kings, Lord of Lord. Jesus broke. I don't know. I'm just playing. He didn't sugarcoat it though. He kept it real. He even put his disciples in situations that were tough for them because he wanted them to know, hey, don't become a comfortable conqueror. You need to make sure that you're always understanding that this world that you're living in will continue to get worse and worse before it get better and better. And see, I'm going to say this, and I know some like I said, I know I, I'm i not everybody's cup of tea. I know that, I understand. I'm a lot. I'm like a coffee with 17 shots of espresso. I'm a lot for people here. But, <laughs> but I always try to keep it real with you, and the reason why is because I love you, and I don't want anybody to end up on the wrong side of God's wrath. And so whenever I'm ministering, if I rough your feather, well, not, that's, that's fine. Just see it from a place of love and endearment that I'm trying to do my best to be 100 with you because I got a responsibility given to me by my calling in God. But I'm going to say this, and I want you to hear my heart, because yes, we keep it real, and yes, Jesus it kept it real. But can I tell you, you don't have to choose Jesus you don't have to. This is what I love about my job. I don't have to force you. I don't have to twist your arm. I don't have to call you, email you 17 times and say, hey, man, have you chosen Jesus yet? Said? No, 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 I don't have to do that. That's not my job. You don't have to choose Jesus. If you're a follower of, 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 of Jesus Christ, you're trying to get somebody, stop trying to force people to follow Jesus. That's not your job. Our job is to plant seeds and water seeds and get out of the way and let God finish the job, not us. I have I a have responsibility to keep it 100 with you, and that's it. But for some of you, you come to church, or you maybe not a believer. Only reason why you're doing it is because somebody else dragged you in or whatnot. You don't have to choose Jesus. God is not forcing anyone to choose him. He's saying, I'm giving you an opportunity to, but you better believe I'm keeping it 100 with you. And since I'm already there keeping it 100, what I have to show you that Jesus also kept it 100 with us about is he understood that Satan is powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I know some of us like to say, man, I, what are you talking about? Well, our God is, man, wait a minute. Our God is, God, he's powerful. What I mean? I'm like, no, they ain't know what you're talking about, Willis. Let me show you what I'm talking about here. <laughs> because... Satan has the deed to the land. It was given to him by God when sin entered in. Jesus himself speaks about this ruler of the world, the one that he knows is powerful. Let's look at John 12, 31. It says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Why would Jesus be casting out God? That's not who he's talking about right there. He's talking about Satan. The ruler of this world would be cast out. He's talking about Satan. He's trying to tell you right there, I know this dude is powerful. He's ruling things. Okay, then Matthew 12, 29, look at what it says. For who was powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man? Did Jesus say a weak man right there? A puny man? No, 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 no. Jesus New understood that Satan is powerful, and it says, and plunder his goods, only someone that is even stronger. So he's not disregarding that the fact that Satan is powerful. He just knows that God is more powerful. He's not dismissing the fact that Satan is strong. He's just saying that I'm stronger. See, we got to understand because if we don't understand this truth and we go through and think that, man, that there's no spiritual warfare and anything that's happened is because God just want to beat me up and knock me down and whatnot, you're going to miss the fact that you are in spiritual warfare and Satan is trying to steal your soul so that you don't make it back home. There we go. Somebody preaching it with me. That's Satan's main objective is to not get you home. But if you don't understand that he's powerful, then you won't put on the armor. See, he's the one adversary in the Bible that it tells us to put on armor for. Some of y'all keep putting on armor for your neighbor and your kids and whatnot in your workplace. And it's like, hey, crazy, stop doing that. Put on the armor for the one who's behind it all. And let me tie it up to put a bow on it for the Trinity because the Holy Spirit wasn't ignorant to this fact. The Holy Spirit, soon as Jesus was baptized, where did he send Jesus. Come on now, somebody reading their word. He sent them straight to the wilderness. Why? So that he could be tempted by Satan. You know what? You know what the Holy Spirit was doing. He was saying, "I'm taking you right to your NBA finals right now. You passed through all the playoffs. You're going straight to the finals because you're going to face your biggest opponent right now. Right after you get baptized, I'm not taking you to the Pharisees. I'm not taking you to the Sadducees. I'm not taking you to the demon possessed people because they won't be your biggest uh, adversary. You know who's going to be your biggest part? Satan himself, that powerful man. So let me send you to the wilderness so that you can conquer him. See, God understands. Jesus understands. Who behind, who's behind all of the corruption? That's why God is saying the job's not finished. I sent my son, you've been redeemed, your blood, hey, I, the payment is done for in there, but hey, I need to restore something. So the job's not finished. And see, I get it. I know that's tough to swallow, that things are gonna get worse and worse in our world. And they should cause, some type of emotions to stir up in us. I'm not saying disregard any of those things. Our world getting more wicked and getting worse and worse, it should frustrate us. It should bring about some confusion. It should should stir up the, the anger inside of us, the righteous anger. It should do something inside of us. But it should also do two other things. It should excite us and it should ignite us. It should excite us because the Bible that we read is true. It's real. I'm not living a lie. I'm not believing in something that's a fairy tale. This thing is coming to pass. I should get excited. But it should also ignite me. Ignite me to do what? Go be a light and a vessel in the world because if this is all true, if everything's going to happen the way it is and God's going to finish the job like he said he would, we should, be more, we should have more of a sense of urgency to go deliver the good news. We should have an urgency to go be lights in the world and stop being uh, uh, Debbie Downers or whatnot. Stop going into work with that face you got on. Stop going to work all angry, looking, at, looking for problems. Stop being this type of spouse. Negative, stop being this type of um, uh, a co that people just say, I don't want to, you need to start being a light and a vessel for the kingdom. This stuff should excite and ignite us to go into a world that needs a Savior. So as I get ready to land this plane, I want to point out a few things that I thought was interesting. Is this good? Is this good for y'all? Y'all good? Okay. I just want to make sure I finish up because, I mean, children's team would be after me, but I can just say I blame it on y'all. They, they clapped, and so I had to keep going. So. so Matthew 24 that I just showed you, at the end of the verse, verse 8, it says something that I just thought was amazing. It says, all these things are the beginning of birth pains. And I love that Jesus used the word or the language birth pains. Go, you can go to that picture Because when we think about birth pains, and any of our mothers in here, you'll understand like what that's the tension that comes before there. Because there's things are getting worse and worse as you get closer and closer to delivering the child. But things are also getting better and better because of the joy that comes when the child is there. So it's like birth pains, it's that tension. And as believers, we should rest in that joy to know that, man, this is hard, but man, what it's going to be like to be home, yeah. what it's going to be like to never have to touch a light switch anymore because the glory of God is going to shine. Sometimes light switch can be, can be tricky, can't they? It's like, wait a minute, yeah. this thing is out. That's probably just my house, but. <laughs> Another thing that I thought was interesting, looking at Revelations, um, Revelation 6, and I'll I know you're probably wondering, like, okay, where did Revelation 6 come in in the whole message? But like I told you, it's like a movie trailer. So all we get is these snapshots of it. So if you look at the first four seals, the first four seals represent Satan being powerful. And we think probably when we go into there that this person that's riding in on a horse, on a white horse, this uh, with a bow and a crown, on we think that's Jesus. But remember what Doug said. Satan, uh, God is a creator, but Satan is a... Uh, imitator. So this is actually the Antichrist that is riding on these first four horses right here, and he's bringing in destruction. So let me show you how they start off. Go to those those uh, those four horses real quick. I'm going to go through these. Real... I know some people probably think like, man, I want you to just go deep in the four horsemen of the apocalypse or whatnot. No, this four horsemen of Revelation, so I'm going to just give it to you like it is. The white horse is representing of the Antichrist is going to start off by bringing peace. He's going to make it seem like, man, I'm uniting the nations and I'm uniting the Jews and I'm bringing peace and they can, they can serve me, which has been Satan's agenda since day one. But then halfway through that tribulation period, he's going to switch it off and he's going to take peace away and he's going to start bringing war. That's what the red horse is. And then when we have war, after war, he's going to bring famine. So that means he's going to be, like it says, that a a, a wheat a, a pound of wheat is going to cost a, a day's worth of work, a denarius or whatnot. So this famine is going to break out. That's the black horse. And then when you got war and famine, the only thing left is death, which is the pale horse. So this is Satan's plan being played out in the first half right here. Those are the four horsemen of, of, of Revelation chapter 6. But then there were two things in the last two seals that I just found astonishing. And one of them was Revelation 6.16. And it was showing the, when the sixth seal got broken that there were people who were actually saying, we'd rather be crushed by the mountains versus declare Jesus Christ as Lord. And I thought, wow, it's people's hearts that will be that hardened. To where they will say, I'd rather be crushed by a mountain than to receive your Jesus. I wonder how many of us in here are like that today. I wonder how many of us are like that online. Only reason why you watch, watching, only reason why you come coming to church is because someone's dragging you in here and you love them, but you don't love the God or the Jesus that they say they love. Your heart is hardened. And you rather go through life stubborn, not accepting Jesus. But then the last thing I thought was interesting was the fifth seal being broken, and it was some, it was the souls of the martyrs' blood that was underneath the altar. That was symbolism for back when there was an offering there, the blood would have to be put underneath the altar, and these are the blood of the martyrs. And they asked the question. They said, "How long?" So for me, that just stirred up in me. That it's like a watch party even after. Death is like, hey, man, when, how long will we have to go through this? And I know some of us, we're talking about, like, what is he waiting for? What is God waiting for? Like, this world is crazy, it's wicked, all this stuff. What is he waiting for? And Revelation 6, 11 kind of gives us what it says. It says, until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. 2 Peter 3 9 gives us a little bit more. It says, The Lord isn't really being slothed by his promises as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So, what is God waiting for? He's waiting for more souls. See, it's one thing we can't say, we can say all we want about God, but what we cannot say is that he didn't care about people. See, he's waiting for the one that's dealing with shame and guilt and just hating themselves or whatnot. He's, 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 he's looking for the one that's stuck in depression and, and just life is just weighing you down. He's looking for the one that's ready to jump and end it all or commit suicide. He's looking for the one that's full of themselves and pride and greed and ego or whatnot. He's looking for the addict who, who's just strung out and just full of... He's looking for the one that's deep off in sexual morality. He's looking for more souls because he wished that none would be destroyed, but that all... Would we'll come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's sad that some people know they need a Savior, but don't give in to the Savior that's willing to save them. But what about the believers? What should we be doing because the job's not finished? Well, if the job's not finished for God, the job ain't finished for us. So we should be doing some type of work. We should be doing some kingdom work. We should be faithful servants. You see, when God comes back, and this is my last question for us. I'm going to wrap up. Uh, God will get the job done. Jesus will return. Like the servant, master who went away and came back, and the the servants, I did what you needed me to do. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Throw him in the dish where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And my question as I get you all up out of here this morning is, with everything I've given you today, the seals and all, the movie trailer for what's getting ready to happen, the next 12, 13 chapters. With everything I've given you today, the job's not finished. God will get the job done. Jesus will return. And my question for you is, will you be, when he returns, will you be under the mountain or will you be under the master? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God. We thank you that you continuously give us opportunity after opportunity, God. You tug and nudge on our heart, God, to come and receive a Savior that's free to all of us, God. You wish that none of us would be destroyed, but that all of us would come to the knowledge of repentance, Lord. God, you're a good God. You're a gracious God. You're a kind God. And, God, I just pray and believe that, God, through today's message, through the message that will be teached throughout Revelation, the message that have already been taught throughout this book, God, I just pray that somebody's life be changed forever, Lord. You will get the job done. Jesus will return. And, God, I pray that all my brothers and sisters underneath my voice today be on the right side of your wrath. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Everybody set Amen, man, amen. man, hey, man. Let me see if I got the prayer thing and I'm going to get y'all up out of here. Let me see. Let me see. I, got, I think I got what they prayed for y'all about. Did they get them to me? Did they get them to me? Yes, they did get them to me. That'll work. That'll work. Okay, so pre-service prayer. This is what they heard here. It was uh, somebody may be dealing with mental health issues, especially anxiety. Um, if you want to pray for uh, someone hospitalized, so someone may be in the hospital, uh, there's someone dealing with neck pain, and then there's someone maybe dealing with MS. So if that has... That resonates with you. We have a, our trained prayer staff that come down here and pray for you. If you're online, there's a number that'll pop up on the screen that you can call and we'll place you in a private uh, prayer room so that you can receive prayer. But if none of that resonates with you that I just mentioned there, if something in the message pulled on you and you said, Hey man, I'm ready to get under the master and give my life to him, hey man, come down and get prayer for whatever it is you may be needing down here, man. Amen, Grace. Amen. Let's be on the right side of the raft and not the wrong side. Have a great rest of your Sunday, church.